0: The reading for the day comes from Ruth 1, 8 through 8-17. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, turn back, each of you, to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept, but they replied to her, no, instead we will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, turn back my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb that they would be husbands for you? Turn back my daughters, go. I am too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, and even more, if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for me than for you, since the Lord's will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, But Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and more so if even death separates me from you.
1: Hey, Zo, My name is Jonah, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors. I want to uh, invite you to really be in the spirit of Advent this morning. Advent, you may recall from last week, is a whole season, the season where we prepare for the birth of Jesus. It's a time when, as the days are getting shorter and the nights longer, we embrace the darkness, we embrace the mystery, and we embrace the invitation to hope. We prepare ourselves and our hearts for Jesus, the liberator, who is coming. And as part of that preparation, we pay special attention to all of the things and people and stories that paved the way for Jesus to come into this world as an infant full of love, God with us here on this earth. And God chose to come through real people in real times with stories that have stuck with us for generations. When the Bible lists Jesus' ancestors, there are a number of people who get called out by name. Some of those people, remarkably, given the time it was written, were women. And so this season, we are really focusing on those women who prepared the way for the Lord to come into this world, for Jesus, the liberator, to come into this world. A couple of the women who are named in the genealogy are the focus of this series. Last week, we talked about Rahab. Now, Rahab was a survivor we talked about the holiness of survival and all of the incredible characteristics that Rahab embodied. Her chosen family, those she decided to protect, and her cleverness at being able to navigate a world that was not built for her. She survived remarkable remarkable circumstances and massive oppression. And in her lineage, the lineage towards Jesus continues. She gives birth To a son named Boaz. Now, this story is not actually about Boaz, but he features in it heavily because the person we're talking about today is Ruth. Ruth, in addition to being one of the few women named in Jesus' genealogy, is one of only two women to have an entire book of the Bible named after her. Again, remarkable for the time. And so this story is actually about Ruth and how she meets Boaz and enters the lineage of Jesus to be named one day as one of his precious and beloved ancestors. The story actually begins not with Boaz, who we learned about earlier in Scripture, but with a famine in the land of Israel. There is a Hebrew woman in Israel at the time of the famine named Naomi. And Naomi and her husband left Israel. They they left for survival, which we know is a holy cause, and they went to the land of Moab. She went with her husband and two sons, and they raised their family there. They lived there for about 10 years, and during that decade, a lot happened. Naomi's husband died. Her sons grew up and married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. This broke all kinds of Hebrew customs. Moab was actually an enemy of Israel. Different religion, different culture. They were the bad foreigners. And this was singled out in the law. At the time, the law of the people of Israel had a lot of stuff in it. And some of that was real insider-outsider stuff. Real, we're cool and you're not kind of stuff. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it says, Moabites that is, people from the land of Moab, Moabites can't belong to the assembly of the Lord. Not even the tenth generation of such people can belong to the Lord's assembly as a rule. Now this was kind of a bummer part of the law in general. The law is complex and much of it is so, so beautiful. But some real nasty stuff worked in there. This part comes right after the bit about how no man with crushed genitals, AKA eunuchs or trans people, could belong to the temple either. Now, this part of the law needs a serious rewrite, and we will see that God actually does rewrite it, not by coming down with like a giant eraser saying, You got this part wrong, but the way that God often works, which is through people and stories and love and relationship that show the people, but the law didn't capture what God's will truly was. So we've got this bummer backwards law that says Moabites are so rejected that they're not allowed in the temple, and even for 10 generations, their ancestors aren't allowed in the temple. Interesting that one of Ruth's ancestors was Jesus. So in any case, Naomi and her sons, her surviving sons, And their their new family members, the Moabites, Ruth and Orpah, lived in Moab for many, many years. And then the sons died too. So after Naomi's husband dies and her two sons die, left in this family in Moab is an Israelite widow, Naomi, and two young women, also now widows. They were all very vulnerable. They had no economic security with no living men in their family line. It was a really rough time for any of them to have this status. But Naomi especially was vulnerable. She was an immigrant. She was an outsider. She was an Israelite in Moab land. So she had heard that the famine had lifted in Israel and said, I gotta go home. I gotta go back. Now, she goes back and these two women who have been family to her who have gotten to know her who have survived the loss of these men in their lives together they go with her they accompany her to israel and when they get there naomi says to orpah and ruth go back to the homes of your families and mothers this is a real question of survival she says go back i can't provide for you you know, I, I, I don't have any sons for you to marry. Even if I can find somebody to marry, what are you going to do? Wait around till I have sons and they come of age? You've got to go back to the people who can care for you economically. Go back to your families. And they have this tearful parting where Orpah kisses her and, and weeps and leaves. But then Ruth just doesn't, just won't. Ruth clings to her, it says. And actually, in this this moment between Naomi and Ruth, the word cling is sometimes translated elsewhere as cleaves. Ruth cleaves to her. Now, if cling or cleave ring any bells for you, it might be because it's in Genesis when the description of love and intimacy and sex and union towards marriage comes up. Genesis 2.24 says that that's when someone leaves his mother and father and clings to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So we don't know what happens after Orpah leaves, but the implication is certainly that Ruth is intimate with Naomi, That there is more to their relationship than the love uh, that, that is between Naomi and Orpah. That Ruth is in love with her. And what follows is this declaration of love from Ruth to Naomi. She says, do not leave me. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your people are my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I die and there will I be buried, and may the Lord do thus to me and more if even death parts me from you. This gorgeous declaration of love hints at the depth of their love for one another, and it gives us this understanding. If we come to the text with an openness, with an understanding of the inherent queerness of God's creation and the possibilities of queer love, We start to see what has developed between Naomi and Ruth. These women who have survived so much, who have found love in one another. Ruth has committed her life to Naomi and is saying, no, I'm not leaving you here. I'm not going back to my people because you are my people and I am with you until we die and beyond. This is so universally understood as a declaration of the love that people aspire to that it is routinely quoted at weddings, at straight weddings without irony because queer love is beautiful and we should all aspire to this kind of love, straight and queer folk alike. And so these two women in love who are facing enormous odds re-enter Israel, queer in an interethnic relationship widowed women. They have intersecting identities of oppression. The fact that they are not only queer, but inter-ethnic is difficult. You know, in Moab, Naomi is the outsider, but in Israel, Ruth is the outsider. There is no place for them to go where they are both accepted for who they are. And there certainly is no place that they could go where culturally it would be understandable for them to run a household without any men. But Ruth pledges to find some way to make a life for them. And so she gleans. This is um, a much cooler part of Hebrew law uh, that says that fields can only be harvested to a certain extent, that there always has to be some amount of produce left for those who are in need to walk through the field after the workers and glean what is left, take what is left. And so as she's gleaning, she's kind of vulnerable, because you only glean if you're vulnerable. And some men start to hassle her, but she catches the eye of a guy named Boaz. Boaz, that is, from the lineage of Rahab. Now, Boaz is kind of a rich dude, good social standing, and we learn that he has some perhaps distant kinship to Naomi. Boaz asks about Ruth, and... In unsurprising fashion, his question about her is, to whom does this woman belong? The answer they get, to Naomi. And this is another indication that if we take the text for what it is worth, that even even in that context, they were understood to belong to one another, to be committed first and foremost to each other, to be in love. In any case, he pledges to protect her And when she asks why he's willing to do this, he says that he's inspired by how much she loves Naomi. He says, I've heard what you've done for Naomi since your husband died and how you left your own family and security to come here to this foreign land, and I think that should be blessed, and I think that God's going to bless you for that. Over the course of the development of their relationship, she asks him to be her goel. Now, this is another part of the law. This is kind of a mixed bag. It's a part where kinsmen can buy back a woman or a piece of land. It's kind of redemption through property law, so it's also kind of a bummer. But it is a way for men in a patriarchal system to come in and protect women, or land, from being left outside the economic system. This is not a romantic proposal. Ruth is asking Boaz for patronage. And Boaz is totally game to do that. But it turns out there is closer kin, people who have more, uh, a person who has more of a right to claim Naomi and it turns out she does actually have a parcel of land connected to her. And so Boaz has to do this interesting kind of negotiation around land and property and Naomi. But he barters for their ownership and ends up getting Naomi and Ruth as part of the deal. So he marries her. Boaz marries Ruth. And as is needed for Ruth and Naomi's security, he gets Ruth pregnant and they have a son. This son is explicitly in the text raised by Naomi and Ruth, not Boaz and Ruth. It says that the son is nursed by Naomi And Boaz actually says to Naomi at the close of this story that this son will be a nourisher of your old age, for Ruth, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has born him. And we get this incredible blessing from Boaz saying, essentially, this is your son, and this is your family with the woman you love. How beautiful is that, and this is how you will be well, and you will be a part of this big family. Commentators have called this one of the greatest love stories ever written, and I could not agree more. But somehow they get the subjects mixed up. They skip over Naomi entirely, the love of Ruth's life, and they focus on Boaz. And don't get me wrong, Boaz is great. Boaz is how Ruth enters the lineage of Jesus. He saves Ruth and Naomi economically. He helps them build a family. And I believe that they form a different kind of family together, that Boaz is family to Ruth and to Naomi, in the same way that Ruth and Naomi are family to one another and Naomi is family to her son, who is not biologically related to her, but she mothers. They form this beautiful family together, but the romantic love is not between Boaz and Ruth. It's fascinating to me to hear people misunderstand this story so aggressively. And I think it's actually tied up in this really gross idea of men saving vulnerable women. It's got kind of a creepy, pretty woman-esque element to it, where this rich, socially dominant man has this kind of prince charming effect on this like poor Um, out-of-sorts woman. And in fact, it is a lot like Prince Charming in the Disney sense, like Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty. Ruth doesn't really know Boaz very well. He's this well-to-do, distant guy who seems like a stand-up person, like seems moral and kind, but it's not like they know each other. It's not like they've been through years of life together. It's not like They've pledged to leave their home of origin because they're so in love and they're cleaving to one another and becoming one flesh. That would be Ruth and Naomi. No, Boaz is offering patronage, not love. So we celebrate Boaz absolutely as an integral part of this family. But the romance, that is between Ruth and Naomi. That once in a lifetime love that you leave home for, that you break all the rules for, that you cannot imagine your life without. It is one of the greatest love stories of all time, and it's a gay one. So they did form a family together, though. This Israelite man, Boaz, this Israelite woman who spent the last decade in Moab, Naomi, and Ruth, a Moabite woman who is also a widow, but followed her love, Naomi, into Israel, a new land, and even pledged her support however she could to survive. And eventually they have a baby together, biologically related to Boaz and Ruth, raised by Ruth and Naomi. Naomi nursed him, and his name was Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David who God chose to be the king over Israel. And I I don't know if my math's just really wrong, but that does not seem like ten full generations. So that law gets completely undermined by God bringing people in, saying, hey, your law of exclusion, it doesn't apply here. I'm going to highlight this love in a way that is very difficult, though apparently not impossible, to ignore. And I'm going to bring you in on this blessing of foreigners that Ruth can be Moabite and holy, that the generations that come can be holy and blessed and lifted up by the temple, by the assembly of the Lord. In Ruth's story, we see how much she gave up. She gave up her culture and her customs, even her religious identity, to be with Naomi. Naomi gives up her culture too. She gave up her culture first by going to Moab, but then also by associating with this Moabite. And Boaz gives up a part of his culture, helping to form a family that is not what he was expected to do, helping Ruth and Naomi be family in a different way than was expected, and helping to bring Obed into the world to be raised by them and not by him. They all choose one another in different ways. A unique way of being family, totally different from the ways prescribed by the dominant cultures that shaped them. One of the predominant messages of this story, chosen family is holy. Ruth, an immigrant, queer, boldly loving woman, is an ancestor to Jesus. Through this family she builds. You see, God calls us into family, but it's an expansive understanding of family. God honors our choices to build family in new and radical ways, and doing so actually is a way to resist oppression and to resist those laws that were written into our culture that didn't hold the gospel in them. Loving and building family radical acts of love are holy, and they help prepare the way for Jesus the liberator. When Ruth and Naomi and Boaz construct this different kind of family, the scriptures give us a picture into what a queer, inter-ethnic, non-conventional family looks like in the Bible. And not only in the Bible, but named explicitly in Jesus' ancestry. How does it feel, how does it feel to know that that was named? That when the scriptures asked, where did Jesus come from, this is who they named? Our culture has tried to suppress and change and wash over this story. But I just want you to sit with it for a second. How does it feel to have Ruth be the ancestor named? Now, choosing family is a really queer thing to do, and it's also a really immigrant thing to do. It's countercultural in white supremacist cultures, which value, first and foremost, nuclear families. Not even extended families, but within biological family, a very narrow concept that says, my people come first, and my, my understanding of my people is very, very small. But in the Jesus kingdom, this is very, very different. Jesus is more like queer culture. Jesus is more like immigrant culture. Jesus is more like black and brown culture that says family is chosen, family is relationship, family is who you love. And that that is built based on story and connection and time spent together. And who I claim as a sibling or a cousin or an aunt, or a mom, or a grandpa, or an uncle, that those are choices that we make together, not determined by genetics, but by love, and relationship, and a shared sense of values. I love when I see people coming after the Black Lives Matter movement, saying that Black Lives Matter is coming to destroy the nuclear family. What's really funny to me about it is that a lot of supporters of Black Lives Matter will say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. Black Lives Matter is not coming to destroy the nuclear family. And I guess technically that's correct, but in the Black Lives Matter um, literature and website and values, they write, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. I feel like we're quibbling over words here, like... It seems like the Black Lives Matter movement is coming after the nuclear family as we understand it in our Western culture. But you know who else is? Jesus. Jesus is coming to disrupt the nuclear family under this Western ideal of white supremacy. Jesus is really clear about this. Even before white supremacy existed, even before the United States existed, Jesus knew our our tendency to say like, oh, my family only extends this far and that's all I'm going to care about. And he tore that to pieces, not only by claiming everyone, everyone that was with him in the movement as family and doing so explicitly and over and over again, but by even teaching about it when people would ask him about his family. We have this beautiful snippet. Um, it's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I'm going to read it to you from Mark. His, that is Jesus' mother and brothers, arrived. They stood outside and sent word to him, calling for him. A crowd was seated around him, and those who sent him said, look, your mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. He replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus asks the question, who is my family? And answers it by saying anyone who does God's will is my family. Anyone who chooses to be in this family is chosen back. And this is why we refer to one another as siblings, as family in Christ. Because God claims us and all we have to do is say, yeah, I do want in on that family. And all of a sudden we are part of the inheritance We are part of the lineage of God. We are brought into the family, and Jesus claims us. Now there are people who are really, really proud to call themselves a brother to Christ, or a sister in Christ. But are we as bold and ready to claim all of the people that Jesus claimed as family? We see the kind of family that Jesus values in the story of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. That being called into the family, into the kingdom of God, is not about that blood lineage. And in fact, the ancient world was very obsessed with blood lineage, very obsessed with with relationship as property, with children as property, obsessed with inheritance. But Jesus disrupts all of that by saying like, oh yeah, you are inheritors of the kingdom, and so are you, and so are you, and so are you. And I know that you're obviously from over there, and look, you're in the family too now, and you're going to inherit it all the way over there. Jesus is breaking up the empire, breaking up the monopoly on on value, on power, and saying actually all who are bought in, all who divest themselves from the ways of empire in the world, you're family now. You do the will of God, you're in. You call me brother, you're in. I will call you back as family. But we are so quick to claim Jesus as family and so slow to claim the same people Jesus claimed. In this season of Advent, how do we disrupt those loyalties the way that Jesus does? How do we claim family? that matters more than blood. How do we break out of the white supremacist notion of the nuclear family to know to whom we truly belong and who belongs to us? Who did Jesus claim? Ruth, the gay Moabite. Boaz, the man who married Ruth so she could love her partner Naomi. Obed, the son raised by Ruth and Naomi. Jesus honors those who choose to be family to one another and therefore to him, who choose love, who risk despite cultural convention or even danger, who help one another to love as Boaz helped Ruth and Naomi to love one another. Jesus honors our love and our choices, the family that we choose, which may not be the family to whom we are blood related as you anticipate the coming of Jesus the Liberator this Advent season, what is one way that you can honor Ruth, a named ancestor of Jesus, a foreign queer woman with an unconventional chosen family? How can you claim her as one of your ancestors now that Jesus has invited you into the family. If we want to claim Jesus, we got to claim the whole clan. And Jesus was really clear about who he lifted up. And not only do we have to claim the Rahabs and the Ruths, we need to do so on their own terms, not on these papered over, whitewashed stories, but in the realness of who they are. How can you honor Rahab? not the unfortunate Canaanite prostitute who redeems herself by choosing Israel, but Rahab, the badass sex worker who who was a head of household, who did what she had to do to survive and to protect her chosen family. How can you honor Ruth? Not the sleeping beauty Ruth rescued by Boaz, but the queer foreign hero, the woman who loved, with her whole heart, and put everything on the line for it, for the woman she loved, Naomi. If we want to claim Jesus, if we want to look at God who is with us, Emmanuel, if we want to awe and wonder at the baby in the manger, we have to awe and wonder at the women who prepared the way for him the Ruth's, the Naomi's, who led the way for Jesus. Will you pray with me? God of creative love, give us the courage to build family with the boldness and love of Ruth. Give us the courage to support the love of others, like Boaz. Give us the courage to risk everything for the family that we dream of, like Naomi. God, we marvel at that family who you have lifted up as holy, and we thank you for putting that beautiful story into our texts. We pray that you would teach us to honor them, that this Advent, we could prepare the way for you to liberate us by celebrating the liberated love of Ruth. Naomi, Boaz, and Obed. In your name we pray. Amen.